Welcome back or welcome to the Success Times Happiness Podcast. I am your host, Richard Thompson, and today our guest is Darren Edwards, not necessarily a household name, but is someone who is on the path to making thousands of lives better. He has been in the education system for nearly four decades, a principal for a quarter of the century after being one of the youngest deputy principals at the age of 25. While he has led hundreds of teachers in his tenure and tens of thousands of kids, his more recent work in a regional leadership role, helping the capability development and well-being generally of school leaders is something that I really want to unpack today. We are all leaders in our own lives, whether at work, at home, with our kids or with our friends. We are influencing people and our team generally. We don't need to be principals of a school to get the benefit from this conversation. Darren has developed a model to help leaders deal with stress and mental well-being so that they can strive, not just survive. I'm looking forward to unpacking this today with him so that we can learn how to be better leaders, better people in all facets of our life. Let's get into it. Darren Edwards, welcome to the show. Thanks, Richard. Thank you so much for coming. It's been a pleasure. 40 years as a principal, as a school leader, what drew you into that line of work early on? Yeah, I guess I would preempt it by saying my qualification is actually a bio- biological chemist. So okay. that's where my degree started. <laughs> and um, it was during that um, training and, and learning I was doing at university when I was doing my final project that I... I uh, was working in the laboratory uh, on an anti-cancer um, treatment, actually. It was really exciting, really interesting. But it was that lack of engagement with people and the interactions with people that didn't seem to fit quite right. And um, in my final semester, I made the choice to do a graduate diploma in teaching. And it was that environment where you felt like you could make an impact on people's lives that I found... The, the buzz and the joy that you know, I like to think I was able to sustain for 40 years and it was that engaging with people and hopefully being able to make a difference where it counted that um, led me into teaching. Did you think at that stage, I'm just going to be a chemistry teacher <laughs> uh, through and through or, or or a science teacher? Did you have leadership principle sort of ideologies at that point? No, no leadership ideology at all in yeah. that regard. Um, at that age, I was probably focusing on having a good time and, in, and enjoying the work. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I certainly did that and I found that the job so super rewarding. And um, I give credit and to some of my colleagues very early in my teaching career who obviously recognised something in my manner, my makeup, my style, my you don't know what it is, but um, they really encouraged me to take opportunities that I wouldn't have seen being present for someone of my age or someone of my lack of experience. And um, I owe them a great debt of gratitude that, you know, they encouraged me to take opportunities that were there, um, but I wouldn't have seen them without their their leadership, mentorship. Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, you, well, you've prime almost exclusively worked in the public sector yes. of education. Yeah. Was that... Talk to me about your upbringing in the household that you were in growing up. Was education uh, put on, was it, was it a high importance? And secondly, was the public side of education, uh, that was that really highly valued or highlighted in your upbringing as an adolescent? Yeah, it's interesting you pro- asked me a, a probe question when we spoke on the phone about, you know, where your motivations or your inspirations come from and that. And I was thinking long and hard about the number of people that influenced my life and my career. And I can't go past my parents. Mm. Uh, the fact that they, I believe, made every sacrifice that was possible to be made to ensure that the three of us as their, their children were given educational opportunities. And whilst neither of them um, had that fortune to receive a, a long or um, extended education, father finishing school in grade six oh, and wow. then going out into work and that. So they just kept making decisions that would ensure that we had educational opportunities. And 
did that impact, I think you'll see through our conversation today, it's that um, power that education can play in mm. giving people life choices and life chances, regardless of your background, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of your gender, and uh, re regardless of your ability. And so I'm a very passionate public educator mm. um, because I saw that regardless of any of those demographics that your your background holds, education can be your passport. And um, I found education was the passport for me and my brother and my sister. Do you see your parents as a circuit, as the circuit breaker in, in the line of that or was that instilled in them, do you think? Because it, it sounds like mm. if they weren't provided access to that, it takes a certain type of pe person to who didn't have the education to then go, actually, that is that is the passport. That is what is necessary. That's really important. Yeah, I think they are both two of the smartest, most clever people I've ever come across. That's beautiful. But they just didn't have those opportunities. And yeah. so um, I have no hesitation that, you know, given the opportunity, then they could have been, should have been, would have been. Yeah. Um, but they were outstanding parents. Yeah. And so... That's not a bad qualification to have <laughs> no, as a, really a tagline. So yeah. um, as a circuit breaker, to answer your question, um, yeah, clearly I reflect that their choices and their decisions around our education mm. um, were, were, were in, you know, very integral into where, where I got to with my education anyway. Sure. And then in terms of on a macro level, um, where do you see <clears throat> the – how important do you see in continual education for the individual? So I think, you know, I've, I think a lot of people go through school, then they either go into the workforce or they go get tertiary education. And then it's sort of just, that's where in the maybe late teens, early twenties, that's where a lot of people finish their education and then they work. And I, I guess I, I can test that fairly strongly with regards to my philosophy is that personally, you know, the first thing I say to people is the first thing I like to tell people about myself is that I'm a learner. Mm. So today I'm learning, I'm learning about podcasting, I'm <laughs> learning about yeah. you know, your backgrounds and that and where, you know, what's driven you to do the work that you're doing. So I'm a, a learner and a leader of leaders and it's interesting your introduction there because um, part of what I subscribe to is that you know, I lead leaders because there's leadership at every level in an organisation yeah. and in a family and yeah. in, a, in an, any organisation you work in. So um, they're, they're really important to me. So the notion of learning is a lifelong skill mm. and engendering people's love for that is what teaching is. Yeah. The content, you know, <laughs> the content I learnt is not so contemporary these days. The, the, the love of learning and the, the desire to want to keep abreast of current trends, current knowledge, current information is what education is about. And um, that's what I stuck with the, the career because it didn't matter what the content I was being asked to deliver was. It's if you could connect people to learning and connect them to your love of learning, then um, hopefully you set them up to go beyond high school, their, yeah. their, their, their tertiary qualifications and understand that from now on until hopefully the day, day we, we pass that we're going to be learning something new or there's this capacity to do that. So, And I think you're right. I think that the the way that we look at learning, whatever the content is, is definitely, um, I guess, is, is the blueprint of that or the self-belief or the, I guess, the the way we view it internally is set up through primary and secondary schooling mm. and how that, how we, yep. how, how that is, how that experience is. And that I'm not au fait with the, the structure or the, how it works, but I imagine on a school by school basis, that's where the principal works in the sense of they're the one in charge of creating that culture, that how it works on an individual student level, yep. how that principal of a school leads the teachers within the school, which then leads, the, which then ha pr provides that yeah. basis and that foundation for the kids. With a lead learner. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you believe that and you model that and you're the lead learner for your staff and they're the lead learners for the, the kids. So then you look at, you look at the structure of how it works with schooling and that it's, it comes, then, it, then the principle of a school becomes integral to the individual student and how they are 
how they see education, how they learn, how they look through it, and obviously how that is shaped, how that then shapes the rest of their life. And then if if you see it as that, and you think that principals are, you know, that become the leaders of the school, school leaders, the deputies and the and the principals. There's an awful lot of pressure there on a school by school basis to get it right, and we. I guess the question I have for you then is when did you get a sense that in your tenure that there may be a problem with the well-being of the principals as a general cohort? Yeah, good good question. Um, certainly the latter part of my career, as we'll talk about, you know, is a, a line of work that I really actively pursued. Um, and I was in those senior leadership roles fairly early in my career and, you know, and stuck with that. And I, I think it really was in the latter last five, ten years of my career that what I was seeing was, and you know, I've referenced to you in our pre-talk about Phil Riley's, Professor Phil Riley's report on uh, principal well-being and um, what that was as a catalyst for me to be really thinking long and hard about, okay, it's my colleagues I've seen not well. I've seen too many colleagues um, being under stress and taking leave subsequently. And, and I agree with your original comment, uh, the school leadership is so important for every, every person in the school, the families in the school, because it's them performing at their best, which makes the school perform at its best because the kids are performing at their best. So, um, yeah, when I started to see um, colleagues not well and worried about how they were handling the pressure of it um, and that I started, the, the cogs were turning in the head saying, I, I know it's not right, but I guess um, I was challenged really early, um, around about that same period of time by uh, Director General after Phil Riley's very first um, report was published actually. And he said that, it was alarming, some of the statistics there about leaders and particularly principal well-being. And um, he came to a conference and raised that issue and then proposed to us if you were the Director General for a day and that circumstance, what is it that you would make different? And uh, I loved the, the challenge because, first of all, I didn't have an answer I could give and that that, that isn't me by nature. But it certainly kept the cogs turning and that and that, that was the catalyst for the work that I did saying, well, what is it that leaders need to make sure that they've got the best chance of, and I use the word thriving, not mm. surviving, um, because leaders love to thrive. That's what they've got into it for. Mm. Uh, and I guess I was seeing a little too much survival and um, wanted to see what I could um, piece together, mm. if nothing else, just to answer his question next time it was posed to me. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think going into this interview, I thought, obviously, I didn't take consideration, I guess, of how important the senior, le the school leaders or the deputies and the principals are to the culture and how the school operates. And then I have kids and my kids are in primary school, state mm -hmm. primary school. And you look at, there's so many families and kids, obviously, in the country that rely on really high quality leadership. And that report, like the most recent Research from ACU says things like average of average of fifty six hours of work a week, forty seven point eight percent. So near on half of the principals triggered what they called red flag alerts, which is generated when leaders are at risk of self harm, occupational health problems, or serious impact to the quality of life. That's an increase of sixty four percent from the year before. The associate pro professor Dick said said that. Um, there have been initiatives introduced to support principles, health and well-being, but unfortunately the results show that they don't go far enough. It is uh, compared to the general population, that is mm. staggering that half of the principles essentially, well, more than half in the public sector, um, are really struggling. And they're the people mm. who are cultivating the operation and the culture of this ki the schools that the ki our kids are going to. Yep. So I can understand where you get the motivation from. And mm. I guess I look at it as 
as I said in the introduction, everyone's a leader and therefore everyone um, will encounter stress, probably not as, 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 as difficult or as much as, as a principal. But I found it interesting as well when we talked that the general, my initial question, my initial thought goes, why? Why principles create that? Um, why is there such a high level? And you yeah. had your thoughts about that. Yeah, I guess I wanted to paraphrase it with the notion that whilst those figures are alarming, the nature of people who go into public service, and, and I can only speak for education, the, the caring nature that is attributed to that profession and nursing and policing um, means that they care dearly and deeply and whilst they will express those concerns in a... Um, survey that's been conducted about how they are feeling deep down. I just admire them because they're that stoic leadership uh, of, of the organisation. So I don't think anywhere near that number of schools are struggling because their leaders are struggling, simply because they do the proverbial duck on the water with the feet paddling sure. feverishly underneath the water, but a very smooth, calm organisation that they're leading because that's what you know, fellowship love you know, controlled, calm leadership. And I think, you know, people who aspired to those positions aspired at being able to maintain that in their schools for the teachers and for the kids and for the families. So I'm not trying to imply that the schools are struggling no. or that the police force are struggling no. or the hospitals are struggling, but more is more but is the issue. Are. Yeah, they, they are, right? And, yeah. and I mean, firstly, on an individual level, that's, that's, that's really alarming. Mm. But, uh, and you know, to a certain degree, I think a lot of people struggle without, with the duck, with the feet yeah, in the yeah, water yeah, and yeah. calm on the top, um, generally in life. But uh, I think there is, there's also the flip side of, well, how good could it be mm. if, yeah, if they were well? They were well? Yeah, a absolutely. And, um, you know, there's, I didn't want to diminish the, the concern. I've worked in that sure. space for yeah, the last yeah. 18 months and that. But um, I guess the, I was alluding towards the fact that, that the care nature of school leaders, you know, we go into the profession of teaching because generally we, we love the idea of being able to help kids. And then uh, when you go through the leadership levels in, in education, you never lose that love of wanting to help kids, but then you've also got the, the care of, you know, a team of, of school leaders and teachers and mm. then you've got a team of, you know, school leaders and some um bureaucratic uh, responsibilities that you, you want to make sure are right and done well and you care deeply that it's done well and that the organisation goes well. And so as, as a principal and deputy principal, you have you carry into all of those your, your desire to look after everyone in the organisation and I guess that's where my thinking came to and why I, I struggled with uh, the proposition I was given around, well, what would you do different because... It was that notion that you'll you'll do almost anything for anyone else to if they're struggling you'll you'll put yourself out there in, in ways that you can try and assist the kids assist the families assist the teachers, teachers yeah. assist you know teaching staff um, but you are last on that list <laughs> we put ourselves frequently and that's not just this profession obviously but um, human nature often says that we will put ourselves you know second and I I guess. What I tried to piece together is what are those things that we as leaders want to have wrapped around us and am I acutely enough aware of where my needs sit right at this moment mm. um, so that I can pursue the, the capability development or well-being development that I need at this particular point in time. And so yeah, I, I would encourage leaders full stop that are listening to your, your podcast that a uh, healthy you is the best leading you yeah. and therefore, you know, you do need to quarantine that time and that priority of your health, your well-being mm. so that you can lead well and that's the underpinnings of the model that I, I spent 18 months well, piecing let's, together. Let's, let's unpack that because even as a caring leader, you when things are going well, that's not the time for you to go, okay, I need some time to reflect on myself and make sure mm. that I'm the best I can be because mm. you're like I'm. Every, all the balls are being well juggled 
and it's fine. Yeah. It's only really when you're, you know, in a hole and really struggling that mm. you can then go, actually, I, you know, it's almost dire. Then it's like, I need, I need some help. And equally as important it is to know what is going well and to take the time to celebrate that because, mm-hmm. you know, in our lives, nothing is all bells and whistles and, yeah. you know, going along swimmingly, but, um, Certainly, usually there's aspects of life that you're really proud of and that. And it's also making sure you, you do take the time to say, well, um, I know that feels really good. I'm, I'm working well in that space. But, you know, have I given due credit to that? Mm. Um, and so pay yourself some some love forward. Um, yeah. But then equally reflect on what is it that you might need at this point in time based around this context in this time of your life. You've been in the profession for near on four decades. Uh, you've seen a lot of people come in, get burnt and leave early. Um, you said to me last night that you went into the education system loving it and you mm-hmm. left the education system loving it. Yep. No doubt it wasn't smooth sailing for you. Um, did you – was this model created because of you of, – upon reflection of how you were able to mitigate those issues that maybe some people in the profession wouldn't or how do you think you yeah. have attribute what do you attribute to your longevity quality mentorship um, coaching and mentorship and there, there is a difference between the two but quality uh, mentorship is uh, really really important but uh, after we spoke on the phone you know before this podcast I was I was trying I was reflecting back on that you know what what would I say and it was interesting I was going back and saying well from my very, very early years, well-being and the knowledge that well-being was important had been embedded in my psyche. And Where did that, that come from? Yeah, good question. I'll go back to, you know, the fact that, you know, be grateful for your health, be gr- a, a position of gratitude, you know, be grateful for what you've got, not what you don't have, be grateful for where you are, not where you're not. Um, so, and that's my parents, so I go sure. back to those original questions um, th- that that was instilled there. And um, I just was always worried that the job was hard work. You know, it was always hard work, but um, I needed to be confident that there was that balance even early. So I, I know you've done triathlon and I, I dabbled in that in my early years and that because it, it connected me with a, a, a cohort of people with a similar interest that wasn't necessarily just education. Sure. And so I had some, um, some support mechanisms that weren't just focused on the profession and... Um, that was – they're really important things not to miss out in your leadership development and capability um, but also your well-being. So I, I think I, – I can only say that because of those background issues that I've, I've – I knew that looking after yourself was well. Family history of um, poor uh, heart health is probably a, a catalyst there and I won't go into terribly much of that but sure. you know, it's a, not a, a – a, a happy journey of um, family health histories and that. So in the back of my mind was, well, that's sitting in that genetic portrait somewhere, so just be a bit careful. And so I was, I was conscious early on and then when the job was hard and working hard, I just knew that uh, you needed to look after yourself as well. And, physically. Uh, physically, yeah, mentally. Yeah. And um, taking the time for those things even when time was precious. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd like to think that's where... And I've, I've maintained that, you know, and I've, I've taken direct leadership roles in my professional association and then in my profession, um, really, with regards to focusing on cap- capability development to assist wellbeing and wellbeing to assist capability development. Sure. All right. Let's unpack this. Okay. I'll, I'll um, almost hand it over to you and come and interject oh, yeah. questions if I hear, but... Uh, as I said to the top, at the top of the show, I think that this is invaluable for everyone, um, not just not just leaders of organisations or leaders of schools, but because we we believe that you're leaders of of all sorts of groups and people. I mean, you're influential on people, and so therefore, when these are great steps to yeah. And I, I, listen, I don't think it's there's nothing from terribly impressive about the work here, and I guess I'd just paraphrase it with that notion that all I've tried to do is make sure that we didn't separate too far that notion of capability development and well-being and that they are inextricably linked and that whenever we are talking about either of those two things that there's actually a, a, an interconnection between all of those things and so in my you know, math science 
brain that you know, led me to my biological chemistry. Um, the mental model I was pursuing was the, the mechanisms in a clock and the cogs in a clock and that it's such an intricate and sophisticated piece of machinery that when all those cogs are turning beautifully and everything is working well, you know, time's sweet. Mm. Um, but it only takes one cog to seize and the whole, it, thing, the whole thing stops and you, know, you don't get any more sophisticated a mechanism than the human body. And so uh, making sure that you're aware of the, the cogs that you might need to be paying attention to uh, was the mental model. And so going back to the proposition I was given about, you know, well, what would you do about it is, okay, if given the chance, what are those cogs? What are some of those key cogs? And so I went about just talking to leaders, talking to school leaders, uh, doing the, the background research and um, obviously starting with Maslow's hierarchy of needs about the, the you need to look after self first and foremost. And so uh, when I was formulating the model and talking to my colleagues, there was the the health and health and wellbeing, health and safety aspects of um, the model that I came up with and you know, some cogs within that which basically uh, replicated Maslow's uh, work basically if you're not mentally healthy, if you're not physically healthy, if you've got too much stress from workload, mm. um, if you're not in a safe place, then your capacity to learn, to lead, it just doesn't happen. And um, I guess that, that, that is a, that's a classic cornerstone of where this conversation started is if we do need to look after ourselves as leaders because if we do that and those cogs are okay and turning, then you, you can pursue any other aspect of your professional learning, your professional development, your leadership and, you know, supporting the job that you, you want to be doing. Uh, but as carers, sometimes we don't put those as a high enough priority. So the model that I, I came up with had four cogs um, in the uh, health and safety side of things and um, I would always, when I was coaching or mentoring uh, leaders, I would ask them to reflect on, how they are travelling with regards to each one of those areas to themselves. Um, and I, I would use that as a, a, a proposition about what they were going to do about that and who would they talk to. You know, I yep. wasn't necessarily the person that was going to assist them given, in that space. Given the answers. Yeah. No, uh, that's not, not my profession, but certainly you know, encouraging people to be saying to themselves, these things are equally as important as the other elements of the, the model. And the... Uh, the other part of the model, which uh, most organisations do well, is the other, and I look at it as the other pillar within the model, is capability development. So I think if we uh, want to lead, if we want to improve, you've got to undertake training, you've got to undertake professional development, you've got to, if you want to be a leader, you've got to undertake leadership development. You need to know how you lead and what your leadership philosophy is so that, you know, others can follow if you can't espouse it, it's very hard to follow it. So um, I'd be very, you know, I think most organisations get that pretty close so that the notion of training and professional development um, uh, are done well in most organisations. There's plenty of training out there, there's plenty of professional development. What we don't always get right is knowing what it is we do need uh, in that training and development space um, and that ties back to the other cog in that uh, capability development space which is uh, performance development. I, I think performance development is fantastic. You know, the notion where you get full, robust feedback and data-informed or you know, um, research-informed feedback around how you're performing, there's very few of us that aren't absolutely desperate to know that we are either doing a good job or what it is that we need to do to be able to do our job better. And you know, once we've done this podcast, you know, we'll talk to each other about how did that go? What did you like about that? You know, is there anything you can see in, in the way you know, that we could make that more engaging for the audience and that? So, You've got to be really open to that yeah. because I think, I mean, as a, as a really good leader, you would be very open to that. But I think a mm. lot of people would be reluctant to hand over yeah. the mirror to someone and go, all right, tell me how I can improve. Uh, I, I actually don't agree. Okay. So um, part of the roles that I've had is to be, talk to many thousands of teachers when I visited schools in mm. several roles that I've had. Teachers desperately want feedback. Yeah, I'm right. Leaders desperately want feedback. It's the, the manner and the mechanism in which it's done. And when performance development and performance supervision is done with a kind heart, then it's very hard to get it wrong. 
you know, because the reality is the premise underpins that most important to me is to know if I'm doing a good job or not and what it is that I could do to do it any better. I think that's human nature. Do you think that because that's an interesting uh, element to the whole well-being of a leader of an individual because if you're left to do a job without feedback, yep. you're sort of – you have no idea – Trying, trying so hard and thinking you're doing a great job and only, you know, and then the, the absolute heartache of hearing or finding out when it's too late yeah. or it's been too long that you weren't performing in that space. Or the negative bias generally because I'm trying to always go back to the general population, not just yeah. the teachers but, or not just the uh, school leaders, but the, um, <clears throat> the negative bias would suggest that if you without constant feedback, you'd be self-critical and go, oh, yes. this isn't enough. Yep. I'm not doing enough. Yep. Like, and I'm dropping the ball here, and I'm dropping the ball over there, and I'm just not doing a good enough job. And I think without, I think if you embrace that, if you said, okay, look, it's find a way, like you said, there's it's more not just saying I'd love feedback, but finding quality, uh, an avenue or an outlet to give give that safe and yeah. constructive feedback. And you're you're right. Uh, it goes kind heart, you know, who you know, uh, what's the purpose of the performance development? Mm -hmm. And um if you you know if performance supervision is that genuine desire to help you to be better, mm. then um it gets received much, much more uh freely. Uh but when it's too late, too sporadic and not necessarily genuine because the work wasn't done to actually check on how you are performing. That's where it, it can fall fall apart. But you touched on something that's really important there too, which is, and it takes me towards the middle pillar and I think part where I had in my concerns in education that weren't being robustly filled and, and that's around the professional wellbeing pillar. So I developed a professional wellbeing pillar. So there's four cogs in the health and safety, there's four cogs in the capability development space, which are all important. Uh, and I speak to leaders and, yeah, all those things that we've spoken about are, are important. And I guess I'm going to confuse these two messages, but I don't want to leave it saying that sometimes it's the training and the professional development that's causing you the mental health issues because if you struggle with the finances in, in your organisation because you just you come into teaching as a biological chemist, there's not a lot of uh, business qualification in there and yet you run a, a multi-million dollar organisation um, – and if you don't have the training to, to do that well, it can lead to incredible pressure. So sometimes really direct training, mm -hmm. which targets your, your area of development, can help your, those other cogs in your health and safety sure. space and that. So didn't want to leave that. But with the performance supervision, the, the importance of professional supervision for leaders um, is something that's really important. So in the professional wellbeing space, I've got professional supervision, intentional collaboration and mentoring as being three elements of that work which tie this model all together and the, the, the role of a professional supervisor, I guess, was mirrored very much on what I um, believe happens well um, in certain uh, professions where if you've experienced a critical circumstance, a difficult circumstance, you have the capacity to debrief that, unpack it, with someone who doesn't have that role of performance supervision uh, with you and their role wholly and solely is to help you work through um, how you're feeling about that episode, how you're going to unpack that episode and what it is that you're going to do about it and, and to be uh, upset, angry, mad, all of those things in a safe space. Mm. So, you know, uh, I, I really love the work that's done in parts of the, um, you know, health profession where... When things don't go wrong, there's a very it's deliberate, a targeted yep. professional supervision of saying, let's unpack that. Are you okay? We check that back in. That specific event. Yep. And check back in that you are still travelling okay. And I would encourage all organisations to give your leaders the opportunity to be able to have that safe space mm. to check in and be checked in on without it feeling like that, well, I'll tell my supervisor as much as I'm comfortable telling sure. them um, because maybe that, that relationship, whilst it's robust and, and very professional, it isn't necessarily personal enough to... It's not you know, bulletproof. It's not bulletproof and 
you have some some issues there about how much am I willing to disclose yeah. in that space. So I, I would love to see, and it's in the model that, you know, I was working towards is that um, leaders really work hard for that professional supervision and that in, uh, the other cog in that was that intentional collaboration and that don't ever let yourself become um, lonely as a leader because mm. leadership can be a, a lonely business yeah. and if – and it's every business that the people are in that are listening to your podcast because the, the reality is that once you get to that level, you're not quite sure, you know, if you're an early leader too, you, yeah. your confidence level isn't high enough necessarily to be going out and seeking um, those connections where perhaps you need them. And I use the word intentional collaboration because certainly there's the professional isolation. You don't ever want to get into that position of professional isolation. So your professional associations, your uh, your, your organisations that have a, a common interest, your business groups and that, they're really, really important because it's a like-minded group and you, you connect really easily. But um, the other part of the intentional collaboration helps with the other side of the health and safety, you know, what are you doing? Who are you meeting with just to have fun? Who are you meeting with to get fit, to do some training? Um, outside of the outside career. of the career and, and and potentially outside of that that work group, but not necessarily. You know, people can um, straddle those those roles, you know, very well. But there's it. I use the word intentional because if we are too busy, um, we don't prioritise ourselves. So therefore, we won't prioritise some of those collaborations because I can't go and meet with that group of professional leaders or I, I can't go do my triathlon training um, simply because I've got to get that done, that done and that done and mm. obviously that then starts impacting on those initial pillars of you know, your own physical health and your mental health. And it's almost an intention that you have to set to say that, uh, yeah, it's when that feeling of I don't have enough time to do that is exactly the time, time that you, you need, need to do, do that. that. Yep. <laughs> you know? Usually, usually. And, and, and I, I, I get it, um, you know, the – First pillar I spoke about workload management, and you know, there's that's that's real. You know, the 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 businesses, and not just education, but the businesses are so bureaucratic. You know, and I, I understand the bureaucracy. Um, I don't necessarily like the bureaucracy. I understand the bureaucracy, but you need to find ways to support that. You're not tying yourself down to management when your job's leadership. Mm. And I guess I. I would encourage early leaders all the time that what are you leading and how are you planning to lead it as opposed to what are you managing and getting done for someone else and making sure it's as good as it can be because that's there's enough jobs to keep us busy 48 hours a day, not just the 24 yeah. that we have. So, um, yeah, the, the intentional collaboration, finding time for it because it will look after your you know, health and safety side of things and, you know, a healthy you is a, is a better leading you. Last last cog, you you can see the model in front of us Mm. there. They're designed as cogs. And the last cog, and I've referenced it previously, is, you know, quality mentoring. Yeah, mentoring I I think is really important because the the definition I have around mentoring is separate from coaching and and I choose to separate the two and they're in different pillars in the model that Mm. I I speak about because coaching is really important. If you want to get better at anything, you know, the best tennis player in the world has a coach. So we've always got things to improve and get better at. And um, if you want to be a better leader, then by all means seek coaching. A mentor is that that trusted colleague, that friend that you know that you can ring and they will take your call and that they will answer um, the request that you have. And often you're seeking a, a, a chance to bounce an idea to get some feedback from someone who's lived and breathed that work or is living and breathing that work. And, um, you know, really important because it just builds confidence and trust in your own decision making uh, when you are isolated and you are, you know, feeling like you have to make this decision and knowing that you've you've signed up someone and I actually think it's a it's a fairly deliberate process to say to someone, I, I would like you to be willing to be my mentor and to allow me to do this, which is a big imposition on busy people, you know, but most I've never found the circumstance when someone's approached someone saying, I'm looking for a mentor to assist me when I might need it. Would you be willing to do it? 99% of us mm. say absolutely. absolutely yeah. yeah. So, um, and it is that person. And um, in that leadership, you, you're just saying, I've got to make this call. There's, I, I want to bounce. I've got five minutes before I've got to speak to the person. What did you do when? And I'm thinking of doing that. And 
a mentor is willing to say, yeah, oh, this is what I would have done. And so it is trying to, it, it's not coaching, it's not helping you to work through the problem because you don't have time to work through the, the circumstance and you, you are seeking sage counsel, mm. wise wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so mentors are often, in my mind, someone who is at been there, done that, and maybe is working at a level that either um, supervises that, that, that area of work or has been in that area of work previously. So, um, And what it is that you're looking for, my most, my last mentor when I was, um, before I left the, the, the department, wasn't in the education. So it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, Leadership. education, yeah, it wasn't educational policy procedure that I wanted mentorship around. It was around leadership. And so I pursued a, a mentor outside of the profession around leadership. That's amazing. Mm. And to think that someone in, like you, 40 years in the, in the, in the game, still putting that high level of, of importance to find somebody to to be able to lean on when you need to. And I think that, and obviously this comes, this whole model is about um, professional well-being and making sure like in response, not in response, but direct, like to try to help the situation that the mm. principals are facing for someone who would might be struggling in their career or in their role to ha to know or in their life in, in the their trial. yeah in, in their, their life, life. Mm. to know that they've got that somebody mm. and as you said I think it's important that it's not just I'll call them and hope that to run something by them it's mm. it's a deliberate request yeah. of for for an, an indefinite amount of time or for this next year can you be my mentor mm. <clears throat> and to be able to to know that person's there, even if you don't call upon them as much as you think, or maybe you do, if depending, you because you can't predict what's going to happen. No, you don't. But to know that someone's there. Well, I, I have to put my confession on the table now because okay. you're saying after 40 years and that. What really was astounding to me is when I was doing this work and building the model and that mentoring cog was a really important cog. And um, um, at that stage I then sat back and saying, yeah, Every one of the persons that I spoke to at every level of leadership when I was trying to get their input about what's important, mentoring's important, mentoring's important, yeah, it's really valuable, really valuable. All the research, so you, you read, you know, habits of, you know, highly effective people and you go, okay, mentoring, make sure you've got a mentor. And then I sat there and went, when's the last time you formally had a mentor, Darren? And um, It was a while. Yeah, it was, it was too long. And then I went and asked about 10 people in the same level uh, within the organisation, only one person had a final mentor. Oh, wow. Yet every one of us agreed that this model was important. So it goes back to, you know, the importance of not separating these as isolated pieces of work yeah. and that what is it that if you surround yourself with in leadership that's got the best chance of not letting some of those things fall through to the keeper yeah. and um, that's where this model really came from and saying reflect on that and when I reflect on it, I went, okay, you're espousing a model that says that the part of these cogs is having a, a mentor and it was great catalog like, and it was, of course I should mm. and and I did <laughs> and it was the best thing I'd, I'd done in a, in a long while with regards to my own professional well-being. So what do you think was the reason that that, that did slip away for you for some time? Oh, I was mentoring a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I valued it so highly. <laughs> so I was, I was mentoring quite mentor. deliberately <laughs> a, a heap of people. Um, and I didn't take the time to care about myself mm. um, enough to, to identify it. It goes back to the caring nature of the person and that, wanting to help. Yep. And uh, sometimes not prioritising and not having, not having a model to reflect against. Um, yeah. A lot of the work is in, you know, here's the the capability development space, you know, you know, that's what you need. Here's, here's some wellbeing programs and that. And, it's, and I just wanted to get away from this notion that they are two things that um, are important. They're actually one thing because without one, the other doesn't thrive and without the other, the other one doesn't survive. So, mm. um, yeah, that that's the underpinnings of that model and that. So whilst it's um, yeah, based in some, you know, very traditional research, the the main work I did was to talk to leaders about what it is they'd like to see wrapped around them. So if the DG was to ask me again now what it is that we might do, I, I feel confident that there are 
weaker areas than others in all organisations about what we're doing to surround our leaders because um, we've actually taken time to say, well, these are the things that research says and experience tells us um, is valued by leaders. So uh, maybe we should entrust the leader to identify those, provide them with access to what it is in that spectrum of development need um, and some of it could be taking time. You know, if you're not well, um, sometimes you need to say you're not well because if you're not well, you're not going to lead well. Mm. And you can be sitting in a PD session if your mental health is not good at that particular stage or something, you know, tragics occurred at home, you know, loss of a family member, family pet, any of those things, if that's not working well, you can sit in a conference room for three days and take in zero. Zero, yeah. So um, that that's the... I guess the, the the wisdom of forty years I'd, I'd go with is you know you 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 are important to the leadership of your organisation um, and taking time to consider your needs uh, so that you can consider other needs uh, is really important. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Um, before we wrap it up, we'll go with the rapid fire questions that we ask every guest. First one: uh, one tip people can use to be more successful in their life. Yeah, um, and set personal goals and professional goals and have them equally as important. Number two, uh, one tip people can use to be more happy in their life. To make you happy, you've got to find the things that you love and then do the things that you love and love doing it. Most influential, we talked about your parents, but most influential, per- let's say outside of your parents, yeah. most influential person in your life. It's funny, uh, um, when I was talking about them, and I'm very happy with that answer. Um, and funnily enough, the other name that just kept coming into my mind and I, I couldn't remove her from my, my recollections, it was my uh, year 11 English teacher, yeah, Janet Schloss. Yeah, if you're listening, <laughs> Janet, um, yes, you would never know the impact that you had. Um, I had a, a, a weakness in my um, spelling you know, as uh, someone who travelled around from regional schools early, you know, my parents pursuing um, educational opportunities. There was a gap there um, and I, I, I knew I could understand context. Co- yeah, that I, was, I loved the sciences and that, but, you know, my capacity in that space was weaker than it should have been and it was, um, you know, something that she, for whatever reason, said that, she, well, she identified because she, she'd mark all the spelling mistakes on my English pieces, um, but she did more than that. She said, you know, y- you can do so much better. Uh, ah. And then she undertook, you know, after school for oh, probably six months just to work directly with me and one other student on our spelling. Wow. So that I, you know, and, and to the, the day, you know, the fact that she took that much time, uh, I didn't pay anything. She didn't, she wasn't asking mm. anything. She's never heard me speak um, about that circumstance. Um, was really important because um, to me that gave me the, the leverage to be confident with my communication mm. and my written communication and then um, subsequently yeah, my capacity to you know, get get further down the track. If uh, Yeah, as a, as a teacher, you, you can't spell poorly. <laughs> <laughs> By virtue of what yeah, you do. So, yeah, she, she uh, so 40 years ago, wow. um, in, influential in regards to what she chose to do out of care and concern. Kindness. And kindness. Yeah, mm. that's beautiful. So educational again, so funny, I've, well, funny I went into education, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you for sharing <laughs> that. Uh, most recommended book? Which albums? Um, Tuesdays with Mori. Powerful, you know, uplifting. Um, and it sort of reminded me that don't, Keep it in keep it in balance. Keep mm. it in perspective. It's easy to get it out of perspective. You know, we work hard. People people have got big businesses. Uh, they've got huge responsibility, um, and so they keep pursuing that. And in that dream that you know, success is measured by money. Yeah. Um, whereas you know, I think there were some life lessons that resonated with me. So Mitch Albom's Tuesdays with Maury. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Thank you so much. And finally, one guest, famous or not, uh, you think we should interview on the podcast? I've interviewed him um, myself, which is why I will That's reference him. Um, Dr. Liam Smith, um, he was a colleague of mine within education, but with an absolute love and passion for, you know, ensuring 
equitable access to quality education for all kids regardless um, and particularly those kids that are disadvantaged or disability and um, I know he's just been um, taken up the position in charge of the Edmonton Rice education community um, and so I don't know if it's the director position what the title is but um, CEO of that organisation and he'll do a great job in that space because it's about an, an organisation which focuses on those kids that aren't fitting into a mould mm. um, and haven't had a successful schooling experience and that, you know, their futures are so dependent upon getting quality education that yeah. an organisation like the Edmund Rice Foundation um, is really focused in that space. And I think he'd be really interesting to, to hear because, you know, his, his passion around that space is undeniable. Beautiful. Oh, that'll be an amazing conversation to have and to be able to talk about, I guess, circumstances or different privileges that people are naturally afforded and mm. some that aren't yep. and how, we, how you bridge that gap to mm. education. Yep. Wonderful. Darren Edwards, I really appreciate your time. It's been a, a really inspiring chat today, so thank you very much. Oh, just hope you got something out of that, Richard. My pleasure. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you, mate. <laughs> Cheers. That was Darren Edwards, principal for almost a quarter of a century in the education system for 40 years. Such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to leadership and what it takes for the well-being and performance of leaders. And I know that his work centers around school leaders like deputy principals and principals, but as I see it for the general population, we're all leaders in our own life. And so what we can take away from that conversation is so much the idea of getting a mentor in our own lives. It's not just our friend. It's not just our partner or our children, let's say, but it's somebody who is maybe a little bit more advanced in than in our profession or is in some comparable level of, of role that we can lean on uh, when or, or at least get some honest feedback when we are presented with difficult situations. And I think just knowing that that person's there for you provides an enormous amount of support just subconsciously and allows us to be better leaders and better people in our own lives. So thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please let me know. Send me a direct message, send me an email, uh, put a comment down uh, wherever you can and I would love to hear that feedback and please share it with anybody that you think would get value as well. So until next time, peace.